And now, Lord, we just want to commit our time to you in the word. Thank you, Father, for what you will teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'll now take your Bibles with me, and let's turn to 1 Peter. And tonight, we are completing our study of this tremendous letter. We are finally, we've come to the conclusion of this letter, the last few verses we are going to look at tonight together, 1 Peter chapter 5. And now we're going to pick up where we left off in verse 8. So now this is the way he concludes his letter, because he now warns the saints that are suffering. Remember, he's been trying to encourage the saints that are suffering. Those that have been scattered abroad, the aliens, remember this, the title of this uh, study was Alien Life, for we as Christians are aliens on this planet once we came to know Christ, but then we are marked, and Satan has us in his sights, and always <clears throat> wanting to seek to bring us down, to attack the children of God. And so now Peter is going to deal with our adversary here in these two verses. First Peter 5, verse 8 and 9. Be of sober spirit, he writes. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Here he presents <clears throat> the enemy of God and our enemy in his closing comments in the letter, speaking of Satan. And he reminds the suffering saint to first of all, be sober, be in control, uh, be in control in your spirit and be on the alert. Be on the alert. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, what does he do? He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan is, of course, that unseen enemy that has through all our lives he has been on the attack and he especially goes after this the christian that uh is seems to be walking the closest to the lord and perhaps is doing the greatest work and so he will come and he will try and discourage us he will he actually will uh sometimes be permitted by the will of god to bring suffering upon the saints. And of course, we know he does that through persecution, the suffering of persecution. And <clears throat> I want you to turn with me, if you would, to uh, Jude, okay? So if you go over to the book of Jude, the one right before Revelation, book of Jude, it's one chapter, but here... <clears throat> uh, if you will look at verse 8 with me. Verse 8, Jude writes, 
Yet in the same manner, these men, and he was previously he had been talking about these false teachers and these uh, wicked uh, people, immoral people, just like those in Sodom and Gomorrah. He writes of them, yet in the same manner, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. In other words, they, they mock the angelic majesties. Then that, that's, that's talking about angels, angelic majesties both good and evil angels, but particularly uh, demons, so that then they, they would be involved in the occult, and many of them would think, you know, they would, they would mock the Satan, and, uh, and, and just, uh, if, if you, it's interesting if you have uh, read any articles on uh, the satanic church, uh, in America today, that they are, they have gotten into our schools, and just like our schools have had good news clubs, so now uh, the Church of Satan has gone to schools and public schools and demanded that they have clubs too, and so the satanic clubs are are to to teach Satan and uh, uh, the. Basically, the schools have to allow it because they allow Christian clubs to come in and teach the Bible. So, <clears throat> but there are those who, who are part of the uh, Satanic Church or Wicca or any part of the occult, and they will say, well, Satan is not a real being. That's what they'll, they'll say. say we, it, it, it's, just, it's just an idea, you know, and there's, he's not evil and, and they paint Satan out to be uh, beautiful or good. And, uh, and we're seeing this, and yet we know Satan is an angel, uh, comes as an angel of light. He puts on a costume, and he'll make sure that he tries to trick people into believing that he is, he is someone who is, is uh, working through someone for, for God. But here, look then, because Jude warns about how we ought to respect Satan. Verse 9, but Michael the archangel, of course he was the, the greatest angel, but My, Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, remember where God was going to bury, God buried Moses' body, but the devil wanted Moses' body, no doubt, to, to be able to use it to maybe have people end up worshiping Moses in the long run. But uh, he, Satan argued with Michael the archangel about the body of Moses. Michael did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment. Imagine the great Michael the archangel did not uh, rail against Satan himself. What did he say? But he said, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. And I think this is a reminder to us as Peter is trying to convey to the, the saints of, of that day that there, 
that we have an enemy out there that we must be aware of, be, be alert concerning his schemes. We must be aware of his schemes. And yet, we, though we respect Satan and what he can do, we, he has been a defeated enemy. He's been defeated at the cross. He was defeated through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have victory in Christ. So we don't need to live in fear of the enemy. But we must understand that, yes, if I'm, not, if I'm proud or I think that uh, Satan can't do anything to me, and uh, we've, we've got to be careful that he is powerful, but we must remember that he is not omniscient, omnipotent, or omnipresent, is he? No, he's just an angel. And so he, he, he doesn't know the future, and we no, must understand that he is an angel, but he's a powerful one. But here, Peter is trying to warn us to, uh, about Satan, that he goes around trying to devour the Christian. But there is something that he said there. Turn back with me, if you would, to First Peter chapter 5 again. So he goes around, we are to be sober and on the alert, but verse 9, what are we to do? We are to resist him firm in our faith. Resist Satan. Resist him. You know, it's, uh, there, there are those that will teach that we should speak to Satan verbally, that we should, uh, some, some people think, you know, uh, they're, they're, that uh, we, we can just go after Satan uh, and, and say anything we want against him. But just like Michael learned, he said, let God rebuke you, the Lord rebuke you. And that's how we should, as we resist Satan, we are to uh, resist him in the Lord, not in our own strength or in what I can do. Otherwise, he can slip in and he can, he can uh, uh, cause us to stumble. Notice he says, firm in your faith. The only way that we can resist the attacks of the enemy is if I am standing in my faith, if my faith is in the Lord, in him completely, and he is the only one that, that can help me when, when the temptations come. When Satan is on the attack, whatever way, whether it is temptation to sin, and he will do that, or it is persecution, all kinds of ways Satan will attack, I can resist him. You and I have the strength but it comes through being firm in our faith, which means, Lord, you have won the victory over the enemy. Therefore, Lord, I'm standing in you. And that, that would take us to Ephesians, of course. If you'll uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 6, we must stop here in this chapter because uh, how it gives us more insight on what Peter is trying to say. And Paul says it 
pretty much the same way, but he adds some things. Ephesians 6, of course, the familiar passage beginning of verse 10. Finally, Paul writes, be strong in your own strength. Do you have that in your Bible? No, I don't. That's right. No, it says, be strong in the Lord. That's standing in your, our faith, standing firm in our faith. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The Lord's might that lives in me. We talked about it this morning, that the Holy Spirit lives inside me, the Spirit of Christ, and he empowers me to be able to do great things for God, to be able to obey his word, but also to resist the enemy, to resist Satan. And that includes my mind, how Satan will attack my mind and my thoughts. He goes on, verse 11 then, he says, this is how you're going to stand strong in the Lord. There's a suit of armor we need to put on, of course. And he calls it the armor of God. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand, here it is, firm against the schemes or the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. He's talking here about the spiritual battle each one of us are in as a believer. I think we easily forget that there's a spiritual warfare going on in my life. And sometimes our life can be, we, we, we might be living in a cocoon. You know, here we are in, you know, some have called this a Bible belt. We have so many uh, churches around here that uh, preach the gospel and, and we, we don't feel the persecution as much here. We're isolated more uh, rather than, than, you know, on the front line somewhere. And so life gets, so our, many times, sometimes our biggest concerns become our physical well-being and emotional well-being. But all the, uh, we, don't ha- we won't have the persecution, so we don't have the same attacks. But yet, we must understand that Satan, in, even though we may not be facing an outward persecution, he battles the mind. And what he wants us to do, he wants us to begin to doubt God. Have you ever found that? That, 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 that when things have gone bad, suddenly you lost a loved one unexpectedly. Suddenly there, there's a... Uh, uh, bad news from the doctor. Suddenly, a situation like Tom Taylor. Suddenly, a truck smashes into his face. But he lives through it. But now he's got to deal with all this, this pain and suffering. And, of course, the big question comes, why? Why, Lord? And we do, God does not give us the answer to the why question many times. And, of course, we know that, that uh, from the book of Job, from the story of Job. As Job, <clears throat> as you've read, we won't take time to turn to it, but, but there uh, God says to Satan, had to, had, have you considered my servant Job, how righteous he is? There's no one like him in all the earth. God was proud of Job. And, and Satan said, 
Yeah, he only, he only is worshiping you and, and, and obeying you, and he's all righteous because of everything you've given to him. You put a hedge about him. Take away the hedge, let him endure some suffering, and he will, I guarantee you, Satan's telling God, he will curse you to your face. And so we know this, that at that point, God allowed Satan to only go so far, but he allowed uh, Satan to, uh, to do things in Job's life, such as, as take away his material things, take away some of his family members, all under the umbrella of the will of God, the sovereignty of God. I can't explain it. The Bible doesn't explain it as to why this is. Why God would allow Satan to do such things. But he allows, and still today, he's allowing Satan to roam and attack the, the, the Christian and persecute. He allowed Satan to do that, but God allowed it to be a test, remember, for Job. A test in his life. And he came through that test. Remember, he came through, through as gold. And it says in, the, in, in Job there, and uh, after all he suffered, Job did not curse God or charge him with any wrongdoing. So uh, Paul is trying to say this here as well as Peter. He says in verse 13, Therefore take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day. Evil day of temptation. And having done everything to stand firm. Verse 14, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with the truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, which will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles or the fiery arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Here we notice that Satan sends his flaming missiles into our mind. And he wants us to get to a place where we doubt if God cares. Does God really care? Is God really watching me? And so if I am not keeping my eyes fixed on Christ and my faith is firmly planted in Christ, I'm standing firm in my faith because that shield of faith, if I carry that, that means, Satan, no matter what you do, I know my, I'm trusting my God who loves me, who saved me, and he's got a plan for my life. And he is going to bring me through no matter what. And this is where we stand firm, resist the devil this way, and he will flee from us. Of course, there in, uh, again, because of time, we don't have time, uh, we won't turn to it, but John chapter 4, when Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, remember? In the wilderness, what did Satan do out there? 40 days and 40 nights, he came three times and tempted Jesus to sin. And all the while, all Satan wanted to do basically was the most important thing was to disobey his father. So he challenged Jesus when he was hungry, when he was thirsty, when, when he was feeling the, the physical pain and suffering of being out there in the wilderness with no food and, and, uh, for 40 days, 40 nights. And then he says to Jesus, 
why don't you go ahead and turn that, those stones into bread? You have the power to do that. He challenges them. And then the other temptations. He's challenging Jesus to go ahead and act independently of your father. That you are, you're the son of God. Go ahead and do it. If he had done that, he would have sinned because he would have disobeyed his father, taken care of his own needs his own way without asking his father. And so Satan will come the same way to you and I, and he will try and get us to act uh, outside of God's will and, and try and get us to doubt God, to doubt him. And in the middle of it all, we, we certainly know that there was going to be pain involved. If you'll turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, then we're going to go back to 1 Peter. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17. Paul speaks to the church at Corinth 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18. 17 and 18. He writes to them, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. By the way, how do you look at something you can't see? You see that there? He says, while we look not at the things which are seen, the things you can see, but we look at the things which are not seen. What does that mean? How did, what's he talking about? He's talking about faith. The unseen, seeing the unseen God. But at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen here on earth are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Notice he says... The light, momentary light affliction. What's it doing? It's producing something for us. An eternal weight of glory. Far beyond our comprehension. God is going to bless us in heaven one day with rewards. And he's going to bless us uh, as he robes us in, 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 in uh, beautiful glorified bodies. And the light of afflictions here on earth will be worth it all. Remember that song? It will be worth it all when we see Christ. And it, it will be worth it all. So Paul speaks of our afflictions and testings as momentary light afflictions. And now go, if you go back to First Peter then. Peter chapter 5. And there... <clears throat> Notice in verse 9, when he talks about resisting Satan, but resist him, firm in your faith. But look at what, he, look what Peter ties the resisting of, faith, uh, resisting of Satan into, standing firm in their faith. What was the problem? Rest of verse 9. Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. The same experiences are being, uh, the, the same experiences of suffering. Notice he's speaking of, of suffering here. 
that we as believers uh, will find the greatest uh, attacks and the greatest suffering when we are weak, when God has allowed Satan by his sovereign will to even try and sift us like wheat. Remember Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. What did Jesus say after that? But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. But I have prayed. The Lord Jesus told Peter, he said, I'm praying for you, Peter, so that your faith doesn't fail because Satan is going after you. He's going after your faith to stop trusting, to stop believing God and his word, believing in me. And so the Lord Jesus himself was praying for Peter. Can you imagine? And that's wonderful. The Lord Jesus, what's he doing in heaven right now at the right hand of the Father? Interceding, yes, interceding for me, interceding for you, so that at the most crucial time in my life, when suddenly the doubt set in, the fear set in, and I don't understand what God is doing, and I feel pain and loss and And it just looks like God doesn't care. I know that I have a redeemer. My Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is interceding for me at the throne of the Father. He turns to the Father and says, Father, protect your child. Watch over him. Lord, Father, keep a hedge about him. By intercession... And we hear the term intercessory prayer. This is what we should do for each other. And we do. Many of you do that. You intercede to the Father for others who are hurting. Others who are going through suffering and pain. And so Peter is focusing here upon the attacks of Satan that are causing the persecuted Christian to doubt God and lose faith. But what did he, what did he say here? He said, knowing, he said, he wanted to encourage him with this thought. Knowing that the same experiences of suffering that you are suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. In other words, you're not alone. You're not the only person in the world who is suffering like you are. But all believers, there are believers that you don't know about that are suffering the same persecution and same attacks of the enemy, Satan. But so that brings me comfort. And remember Elijah, when suddenly he was on the run from Ahab and Jezebel, and they wanted his life, and Jezebel especially, said, and sent men after him and wanted his death. And so he took off, and suddenly this great prophet who just stood on the mountain and defied the priests of Baal, And now he's on the run, fearful for his life, and he goes and hides. And the Lord comes to him and finds you and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And he he says, Lord, they've killed all the prophets. They've killed all the others, and I alone am left. In other words, I'm the last one. What Peter's saying here is what Elijah was experiencing. 
He felt like he was it, alone. That he was, now God had somehow uh, allowed Ahab and Jezebel to go after him and seek his life. And now he, he figures, well, all is lost and he just wanted to die. Because there's no one, there's no one else left like me. And then God tells him, oh, I have other brethren. You have other brethren out there that are serving me. Get up and go. And so the Lord wants you and I to not get to the point of complete discouragement and to to feel like throwing in the towel, but to gain strength by putting our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, and, and knowing that I'm putting my faith in the God who loves me, And look at verse 10 now with me, if you would, 10 and 11. And after you have suffered for a while, suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Notice he says, Peter says, And after you have suffered for a little while, same thing that Paul was saying, momentary affliction. I should expect to suffer in this life. I should not expect anything else. But after I have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, he is the one who gives sufficient grace for me till I see him face to face. He will give me that grace that will strengthen me in my weakness. The God of all grace And notice how he encourages the persecuted saint, the suffering saint, who called you, the God of all grace, who called you, you were chosen, to his eternal glory in Christ. So after you have suffered, there's something again that God will produce in you and me. And here it is, the four things in verse 10. Peter says, God will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Those four things. Perfect. Perfect here, the word in, in, used here basically means uh, to equip or render complete. So that God is completing something in you and in me through the suffering. He's completing something beautiful, conforming us to the image of Christ. Secondly, confirm. He, God, confirms us through the suffering. This means to, to set fast, and it's, it's much like the word, uh, the next word, strengthen. Confirm, but it has the idea of of, of restoring someone when they are weak. And as such as Jesus did after, after Peter denied him three times. And it says there uh, with uh, the story of Peter, Peter went and strengthened his brothers uh, after Jesus strengthened him. And then the next word is strengthen here. Now this word strengthen in the English here, It's interesting that this word occurs in the Greek only here in the Bible, in the New Testament. And it's even rarely used in the Greek language. So we don't know exactly how it differs from confirm, but they translated it 
strengthened. And the last one is God will establish you. He will establish us, which means to lay a foundation, to keep, keep us on the solid rock. And that you and I will stay on the solid rock. Oh, dear Christian, these are the words of encouragement to us tonight as we leave here. And then he gives the benediction to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then just in closing, uh, let's read 12 through 14. Then he concludes with these greetings. Through Silvanus, and that's actually Silas, our faithful brother, for so I regard him. I have written to you briefly. You see, Silas was at this time his secretary, so to speak, to write things down for Paul. I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So Peter uh, was saying, Silvanus or uh, Silas, um, he is bringing this message to you from me. But he's saying, uh, I've written to you, testifying that this is the true grace of God. And there it is. He says, stand firm in it. Stand firm in the grace of God tonight, dear Christian. And then he says in verse 13, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Now, he didn't have a real, we believe this wasn't a real physical son Mark, but this was the uh, Mark that uh, uh, Peter uh, no doubt had a spiritual influence on, so he felt like a spiritual father to Mark. But that, but that phrase, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, that has caused a lot of like uh, questions. What, what does he mean by that? She who is in Babylon. And basically, uh, most Bi- good Bible scholars believe that he is talking about the church in Rome. And so he, he's basically uh, symbolizing Rome like Babylon. She is the church that is being persecuted under Nero at this time in Rome. So that's why... Uh, we believe he, he put it this way. So he's basically saying, the church who is in Rome, chosen together with you, sends you greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a, a kiss of love or a holy kiss. Peace be to you, all who are in Christ. Dear friend, we are aliens in this life. Let us leave here with uh, a mindset that is focused on heaven and realize that this is not our home and that we have an enemy out there who's waiting, but we can resist him. And if we resist in our faith by the strength of the, and the grace of God, we will have victory and we will be able to continue to, to, uh, to follow him with a whole heart and not give up. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your precious word. Thank you, Lord, for the study of this wonderful book. Lord, thank you, Lord, that we've been encouraged, Lord, as as, uh, foreigners here in this life. We've been encouraged by Peter, Lord. Lord, to stand firm in our faith. Father, help us to do that. Give your grace to your people here tonight. And Father... 
May we be found faithful and hold dear to the word of God, your word, and hide it in our heart and trust you, Lord, to strengthen us for the battle until Jesus comes again. We pray all this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen.